Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Gibson, joined today by the fabulous and oh-so-awesome Josh Clark. Thank you, Candace, and let me say R and ahoy to you. Oh, that reminds me of a joke that I know. Okay, yeah, what? What do pirates drive? What? Cars. That's great. You know there's not enough pirate jokes these days. No, but there's no shortage of pirates. I mean, we've got Johnny Depp and... Sure, Keith Richards. Yeah. And Johnny Depp doing Keith Richards. Yeah. And then Johnny Depp pretending he's Keith Richards, which is totally different. And then Johnny Depp recently played a musical instrument on stage somewhere, not under the guise of, of a pirate. What what musical instrument did he play? <laughs> a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. That's great. No. Well, you know, there's also some real-life pirates. Uh, off the coast of Somalia is a uh, strong haven for pirates these days. And actually, that's uh, that's kind of been the, the way it's been for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Do you remember when we were doing the America's First Murderer podcast? I do. And we were saying, like, one of the cool things about uh, America being such a young nation is we can point to the firsts, you know, like... We know who America's first murderer was, and um, the first child born in America. Sure, that kind of thing. Virginia Dare, first English child born in America was Virginia Dare. Yes, uh, we should really make that that distinction. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, actually, we can point to America's first terrorist threat. We know exactly what it was, and you know, in, in the world today, it's it's kind of a commonplace thing. We're always thinking about terrorism. It's always somewhere in the back of our mind, especially around, you know, September 11th, which is around the time we're recording this, right? Um, But the terrorists of yore are, well, are kind of of a different ilk than than the ones we're running into today. Do you you know much about the Barbary pirates? I do. These guys were smart. They were Class A extortionists. They essentially set up camp along the Barbary Coast, and they had really, gosh, full reign over the Mediterranean, really. There were European ships that would make several routes back and forth between Europe and the East Indies, which is today the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And the Barbary pirates caught wind of this, and they're like, you know, these guys, they, they're wealthy. They have all these goods on board their ships. Why don't we kidnap them yeah, and, and, actually, and plunder their goods? This is what, they weren't the first ones to come up with. The, bar, the Barbary pirates were named after the Barbary Coast, which is the North African coast today, like Libya and Algiers and that kind of thing, Morocco. Um, and the, the coast was named after the Brothers Barbarossa, which was, I believe, Spanish for redbeards. It was the Spaniards who were getting attacked the most frequently. Um, and the, these these two brothers, the two Redbeard brothers, were actually Turks who came down to the coast of North Africa to assist the Moors. So anyway, these two Turkish brothers, the, the Redbeard brothers, um, the Barbarossa brothers, came down. They're helping the, the, the Moors get back at the Spanish by um, molesting ships, capturing people, enslaving them. And they started to make a lot of money doing this. But like I said, they weren't the first ones. The Mediterranean, especially in that area, had been the site of piracy for thousands of years by the time the uh, Barbarossa brothers showed up. So that's the story of the Barbary Coast up to 1492. Well, I stand corrected. 
I don't even know what to do with myself now. I'm so used to being a know-it-all. So, not coincidentally, that year really begins the age of exploration to the New World. But like you said, by this time, all of Europe was going to the East Indies for hundreds of years by then, right? And uh, as a result, all of Europe was under the thumb of these Barbary pirates. Uh, The thing is, is people kept giving tribute to them, kept paying them off, kept basically bribing these people to leave their country alone or leave ships from their country alone, but, you know, maybe uh, harass other countries. I had heard, though, that it was actually your favorite president, Mr. Thomas Jefferson, who finally stood up to the Barbary pirates when no one else would. Is that fact or fiction? That's fact. Okay. It is fact. Uh, TJ is my fave, and, you know, he had red hair, not to be confused with the red-bearded pirates. He was, you know, he was pretty ballsy, and America was a very young nation, but it had grown exponentially by this time, and so the Barbary pirates had been demanding tribute from American ships. And originally it had been a more modest sum. I think that... Uh, $80,000 had been the first amount actually built into the United States budget. Yeah, so the U.S. was paying tribute like everybody else. Right. Because they were, they were going through the Mediterranean as well to get to the East Indies, right? Precisely. Okay. Well, that was 1784. Mm-hmm. But then by 1795, they were demanding $1 million. Well, what was the, what was the change? Well, b- because the U.S. was getting bigger and it oh. was importing and exporting more and, and being more frequently on gotcha. these trade routes. And at this point, Thomas Jefferson sort of took notice of the situation, and the U.S. had really good diplomatic relations with France. Ben Franklin had originally been the U.S. minister to France, and he had set up a treaty with France that said essentially, you know, you look out for the American sailors, we'll look out for the French sailors, everything, you know, tit for tat on the high seas against these pirates. And then Thomas Jefferson, when he was minister to France, when he was actually in Paris, you know, gathering ideas for the architecture of Monticello. Sure. He also started to think about, well, why can't we take the superpower of France and the growing strength of the U.S. and maybe reach out to England and see if we can form some sort of coalition against these pirates? But no one was on board. It was just him. And well, he- I imagine England was still a little irked from, you know, the whole revolution and everything. Yeah, yeah pretty much. So finally, when Thomas Jefferson is elected, the presidency, he has the ability to say at that point, okay, this is it. And it was perfect timing because at this point, the Barbary pirates had gotten some American sailors and essentially they told the U.S., okay, we're going to release two. You are going to pay us this much money. And if you don't, we're going to war. And that was just the door that Thomas Jefferson was looking for. He was like, all right, we're going to war. It was that simple. So he sent his Navy to the Mediterranean and there were actually two sets of Barbary Wars that resulted from this. And the first that Thomas Jefferson waged, they were sort of uneventful. It was mostly sea battles, you know, Mm -hmm. maritime fighting. It went on for four years, and it ended with a treaty. And things were okay for a couple of years after that. I mean, I think that there was still some plundering and pillaging and and raping and slave trading going on. But Typical pirate stuff. Typical pirate stuff. Anyway, I... In 1815, when James Monroe came along, there was a second set of Barbary Wars, and he was a little bit more, shall we say, assertive than Thomas Jefferson was. Well, sure, he's the one who came up with the Monroe Doctrine, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to you wanna have at it with that? Uh, that's the uh, world police doctrine, pretty much, right? That mm-hmm. the U.S. would serve as the uh, 
police of the Western Hemisphere, as far as I know. And that they did. And they gave it back to these pirates. It was like all those years of pent-up frustration of, of having American sailors kidnapped and having to dole out money finally just, you know, yeah, it came to a head, did it? It came to a head. I understand. You know what I, I find striking, though, and I'd heard this before, that you said that the, a treaty ended the first uh, Barbary War, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that was brokered by a diplomat that the U.S. actually had in um, one of the Barbary states. Don't you find it odd that, that we had diplomats like trying to broker peace deals stationed in these, these countries that were run by pirates? You would think so, but I think that it was sort of no holds barred when it came to this piracy, because for so long, we had been negotiating with pirates like they were businessmen. Mm-hmm. You know, there were sums worked out, there were tributes paid, there were, I think, some sort of backhand, backhanded deals waged against them in order to get the release of prisoners, and, you know, it wasn't unheard of for something like this to occur. So this is like the original state-sponsored terrorism, huh? Pretty much. Wow. All right. Thanks, Candace. I get it now. And it is fact, you say? Fact. That's great. So uh, I have a, a, a little fact of my own. You want to hear it? Yeah, sure. I want to hear it. So, you know, the Marine hymn? Yes. You've heard it, you know, mm-hmm. from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. Yeah, that's a nice baritone. Thank you. That um, that uh, that shores of Tripoli was actually from the Barbary War. Uh, I think it was the second one. The Marines stormed Tripoli, Libya, and uh, basically took care of business. So that's where that part of the first line of the Marines hymn comes from. Who knew? I did. You did. And if you want to know even more about the Barbary Pirates, maybe even as much, if not more than Josh, you can read What Was America's First Terrorist Threat on HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. <laughs>